Welcome to Fintech Impact. This podcast is an exploration of the financial technology world, interviewing different fintech entrepreneurs about what they do, their story, and what their impact is on consumers, incumbents, and the industry as a whole. Here's your host, award-winning financial planner, university lecturer, and writer, Jason Pereira. Hello, and welcome to Fintech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have George Borden now, founder of Balance. Balance is a cryptocurrency service that enables people to buy baskets of cryptocurrencies all in one place. Instead of going to multiple exchanges, you can purchase up to eight of the major cryptocurrencies and have them very securely stored. And with that, here's my interview with George. Hello, George. Hi, how are you? Good. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you for having me here. So George Bordiano of Balance Now, tell me about, tell us about Balance Now. So Balance is the simplest and safest way for people to buy a diversified basket of currencies. Uh-huh. What do I mean by this specifically? About a year and a half ago, like we kind of wanted to, you know, like get into the space and, and learn a little bit more about digital assets. The first thing that I wanted personally to do was to set myself up with a diversified portfolio that allowed me to track the market. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, that process turned out to be pretty painful. <laughs> uh, having to open multiple exchange accounts, potentially integrating with other pieces of software. So we said, how about we forget all that and we build something simple where customers can effectively select an asset mix, sign a contract, pay an invoice, get a monthly statement, and that's about it. Canadian dollars in, Canadian dollars out. Okay. So that's that's interesting. So we're going to talk about that portfolio approach and what you support <laughs> shortly. So tell me about the history beyond that. What did you do before you start, You got involved in balance? So my background is uh, fairly technical in nature. I was born and raised in Eastern Europe in Romania, completed a bachelor's in computer science there. And um, about a, a bit more than a decade ago, I started getting involved into the whole VC-funded startup ecosystem. My first serious gig was with this past-based startup called Silent Tail. Basically, I ended up spending three and a half years with them, going through a variety of positions all the way up to director of platform. Eventually left and uh, co-founded my own startup in the social space called Your Extra Life. I was the founder and CTO of that one for a few years. <laughs> Later down the line, I ended up in uh, in Toronto working for the Toronto-based 500 Pixels. If you're into oh, photography, yeah. Yeah. spend a few years with them. And then uh, basically last summer, I figured it's time to take the training wheels off, so to say, and decided to give it a go. Uh, hey, this startup thing looks interesting. I should try it myself. Yeah, I <laughs> Good. So basically, this was born as so many things are out of frustration, right? And that's mm-hmm. where it came from. Okay. So this is interesting. So yeah, most of the approaches I see to, um, I guess you would technically be an exchange, would you not? Or you uh, see yourself not necessarily. So we we are effectively trying to build a self-directed investment platform. Now, obviously, there's a few pieces and, 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 and key steps involved in getting a product like this off the market. One of them being financial advice. We have to limit ourselves at the moment so that, you know we can't uh, we can't we don't give any sort of buy or sell signals. Uh, we don't have any sort of preset packages or anything of the sorts. We are building towards that destination. Mm-hmm. That being said, to answer your question, we don't maintain an order book behind the scenes. Got the it. clients effectively end up trading against uh, our own desk. So essentially, so if I'm acquiring these, I'm going to CoinSquare, Coinbase, whatever it is, transferring it to, this is a basically, just basically transferring it to the, the code, to the wallet here. And essentially it's a diversified portfolio. Pretty much. One key piece that I would want to mention from, from the get-go. You did say earlier that this kind of started as a scratch your own niche out of frustration. Most services that, that we found online at the time that are trying to tackle this problem, 
in one way or another, they ended up building financial securities behind the scenes. So the number one requirement, which was uh, we're not going to compromise on this, regardless of how painful and hard it is to build this company, was we want our customer to retain the full title on the assets from the point of sale. Okay. So when we tell one of our customers that they have 0.1 Bitcoin in this particular wallet address, it means that that wallet address exists with 0.1 Bitcoin in it, which was delivered at the time of you signing and running the trade through us. So you're not taking some sort of, you're not taking ownership of yourself in any way, shape or form and then allocating it to their account. Pretty much. Okay. So there's no there's no pull of money. We don't commingle. We don't do anything like along anything like that behind the scenes. We maintain fully segregated sets of wallets for each individual client, which is a bit of part operational nightmare and part a really complicated <laughs> technical problem. That's fix, a lot of wallets. That's why we're here. Yeah. So let's talk before we go down that go down that path. Let's talk about the currencies you're currently supporting. We went for pretty much anything that's we would argue that's stable enough and has high volume in terms of liquidity so we can get in and out of the market whenever the client needs us to okay so usual usual you know suspects bitcoin and ethereum and litecoin ethereum classic bitcoin cash dash and then ripple and stellar lumens mm -hmm. which are two of the you know like most interesting projects out there Fair so enough. To say. we've kept this fairly uh, you know, like we took a holistic approach, we looked at the market, we went through pretty much every project with a market cap of over 150 million, team founders, white paper, technical paper, code on GitHub, whatever it is. There's a lot of interesting stuff that's happening in the space. There's a lot of really promising projects. We wanted to stay away from the whole fat tail of coins until some of those promises actually get delivered on. <laughs> no we kidding. Focused on on what looks more like commodities. Yeah, I mean, was it statistic over fifty percent of the ICOs from last year are now bankrupt or something like that? So, <laughs> yeah, it's a very very long tail. So you said so you made an interesting point there. You talked about what was the threshold? It was one hundred fifty million, was it? Or one hundred and fifty million yeah. was internally for our own for our own assessment, effectively. Okay. But again, it's it's a shifting market. So you're looking to basically add. As, as different coins reach certain levels of prominence, you would basically add them to your platform and allow people to diversify that way. So what's interesting about your platform, looking at it now, the you know, you're talking about again being able to buy a diversified portfolio. So you've basically made that easy at a couple at a button click, haven't you? I can see like different weighting formulas. Pretty can you speak much. to those? The way that I currently see this market is it, there's a lot of parallels that can be drawn between the traditional financial industry and the, and the digital asset space. It's not a one-to-one -one matching by any means, but the course of the market as far as digital assets is, are concerned, you have all these trading and exchange platforms that are launched out there in Canada where effectively you have to create an account, pass through identification, potentially more than one time, and then effectively watch the order books and run your trades one by one. This is the equivalent of I'm going to open up a brokerage account and I'm going to buy my ETFs or my index funds one by one to come up with a portfolio. Direct indexing, for lack of a better term, yes. Direct indexing, for that is the proper that term. That is the proper term, but yes. <laughs> uh, so what we wanted was, okay, that, that that's great and there's definitely target market for those. It's a pretty huge market. That's not the space I want to play in. We wanted to bring a level on top of it, another level of simplification for the early majority market where in the same vein and manner as tangent investment funds or, or, or wealth simple for the lack of a, of a better comparison, although we don't do the robot advising bit just yet. We wanted to give people the ability to say, I want to, you know, like set myself up for a portfolio. And even if I pay a slightly higher fee than what I'd normally end up if I were to run my, my own trades one by one, mm -hmm. I get the peace of mind. And that's, that's fairly important. We're targeting the, you know, like middle, upper middle segment of the retail market. So effectively, 
people that say i want to get exposure to the space i don't want to worry about digital wallets tonight i'd much rather worry about where my dinner reservation is absolutely so you mentioned you're not getting into the robo advising piece can you mean what what, what does that mean exactly in your mind so for us one um, you know like one of the most challenging pieces once we started this business was understanding exactly where the regulatory line is or or, or could be in the space we understand we're operating in a regulated space and we fully embrace it. It's a good thing. It offers protections both us as businesses and consumers. So often not said by people in the crypto space, but yeah, oh. <laughs> you got to deal with reality. Right? That's, that's, you know, anytime you touch any kind of money, you're in a regulated space. If we can make a quick parenthesis. And I, and I'm gonna, yeah, no, by all means. I'll get to answering your, your question too. But the way I look at it, there's a finite set of viable business models in the financial industry that could legitimately make money. Whereas there's an infinite number of scams and con games that you can run. <laughs> As we're finding out, but you, know. <laughs> you can never run out of those. So without regulation, the free market would effectively push everyone towards, you know, like, well, if I'm to be competitive in the space, I have to compete with the scammers and with everyone That's else running fraud, right? <laughs> uh, well, and this is the thing that regulation creates a sense of security, rightly or wrongly, and only makes only in, only enlarges the market, quite frankly. So I know many people disagree with me on that, but whatever. So, so to, 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 yes, to go back, back to your robo-advising space. Yes. So on the robo-advising side of things, we are currently not at a stage where we, we can or realistically even want to give financial advice, especially in digital assets. The whole asset class is risky enough as it is. Yeah, no kidding. If yeah. we start getting to buy and sell signals. So that being said, Unlike robo-advising platforms such as Wallsimple or Betterment or, or Wallfront or any one of those, we cannot talk to our clients about their risk tolerance. We cannot talk to our clients about the investment horizon. We cannot talk to our clients about their other traditional investments in, in their existing portfolio and, and exactly what are they looking for to get out of this product. We are here just to provide access. To say, look, you'll learn about it. You can't understand what Bitcoin and Ethereum or, or digital assets in general, cryptocurrencies in general are, and you want exposure to the space, we can help you get that done with a few clicks. If you don't know where that is, or if you think it's too risky, I'm not going to go through, through convincing you, through the process of convincing you. There's a lot of yeah. companies in the space that are tackling the education aspect of it. We see that more of a partnership rather than, than a competition. Yeah, I mean, the reality is, is that you're crossing, that's a very fine line between basically discount brokerage and full service brokerage. That's right? exactly So I totally get is. that. So, but you do offer three off the shelf allocations, which make perfect sense. You have an equal weight between all of them. You have a market cap weight and you have a Bloomberg Galaxy weight. So essentially you're, you know, you're giving people a tool set to determine a balance based on whatever preference they want there, or they can do their own custom one, correct? Right. So, exactly. so and, and, and we, we effectively put those on the site as presets. You know, like you select one of those presets, it just drags the sliders for you and the sets and the set positions, and then you can continue customizing the portfolio on, on, on your own. We don't make decisions for the customer in saying this asset makes that they want to do, and we're send them straight to a checkout page, mm -hmm. you know, like even even in our software. So we're really, really careful when building our product about the specific aspect. We want and we do encourage everyone to go through some of the research and figure out at least high level how they how they would want their, their portfolio distribution to look like. If at a certain point in the future, we do manage to get registered with Securities Commission for whatever would have to be registered for- Whenever they come up with registration. Yep. Whenever they come up with registration, <laughs> yep. we would want to provide those low risk, medium risk, high risk, prepackaged portfolios. Absolutely. But, yeah, uh, you can base that off historical volatility and yeah, any number of factors. So uh, does this service currently offer any kind of rebalancing service as well? A really, really good question. So we do have the tech to execute behind the scenes. 
But, but <laughs> there is a but. And this is one of those, you know, like really, really fine lines. At what point do you consider the services contract that the client has with me to be an investment contract in and of itself? We did reach out to the Securities Commission in Ontario. You know, we're thankfully they have a regulatory sandbox exactly for this kind of businesses where basically they say, look, if you're coming out with a new model that you want to explore over here, just come talk to us and we'll understand a little bit more about what exactly are you doing over there and what business registration requirements you might be triggering. And then we can, you know, like help you guide you through the process effectively. We reached out to them initially with rebalancing as part of the, like one core feature of the product. It could be argued depending on how it gets implemented, whether it happens automatically or if, whether there's a button on the, on the side that the user gets to click on, on their own once every three months or however that gets done. It could be argued that the moment we tag rebalancing to the services contract, the services contract in itself becomes a bit more than just the sum of the parts. Technically so, qualifies as advice at that point. Basically. So, so we decided to just stay stay on the safe side of things, remove it for now. We do have the tech built. If we do get to get all the registrations in place, well, that's definitely on the roadmap. Yeah, I mean, I have a little bit of difficulty with that article, with that general position, just simply looking at how you've done it. I mean, if someone determines their own asset mix, they want to return and basically rebalance their own asset mix. That's them, right? If if you basically provide off the shelf equal weight market cap in Bloomberg, it's not you determining that mix. It's those different factors. So yeah, it's it's a fine line. It's a fine line. It's an interesting debate. Oh, okay. So talk to me about custody. You uh, you boast uh, military-grade security. So talk mm-hmm. to me about what that means. So that's, uh, this was one of the hardest pills to swallow when we started the business. As with every startup, you know, you you, you, give with, you start with this optimistic uh, outlook and positive. How hard could it be to maintain fully segregated wallets for each individual client? I'm a technical <laughs> guy. I can figure it out. Yeah. Quickly, really, really quickly realized that if we wanted to do that and to do that in an efficient manner where we can actually, you know, charge you a low fee that allows us to be competitive in the market and turn a profit, we'd have to build our own custody piece from the ground up. We initially started thinking we're going to work with a third party provider like Kingdom Trust or Gemini Custody or, or Coinbase Custody. There's literally you know, like maybe half a dozen, a dozen solutions worldwide that, that make sense. We've analyzed all of them. We've talked to a few of them, you know, just they're not built for this specific use case. It's, what was it's, the big it's, issue that happened there? Like, what was the big holdback for them? So usually there's a few parts that come into play into making that decision. One of them is that the space is still fairly early and there's no insurance for assets that get held in cold storage. Fair enough. Because of it, we said, well, we want to basically maintain potentially more than one collection of fully segregated wallets for each individual client. If I have something come in with a seven, eight figure account, I want to split it into 5,000, 100,000 buckets, whatever it is, and then manage that as one collection and it's fully transparent to the client, no third party one. Yeah, to they're, used to, they're used to dealing with institutional large scale, single purchase, single wallet type ventures. That's, okay. That's so that makes sense. They didn't, they didn't want to, they didn't want to do all that heavy lifting. <laughs> so you have to build it yourself from scratch. So tell me about that journey. How much, uh, how much of a pain was that build? It started off quickly and then it, it, it tapered off, uh, you know, like with a, with a bit more pain and work than we thought it would be. We effectively went idea to proof of concept within seven weeks. I'm a technical guy. So again, this is, this is what I do. So I wanted a solution. I'm like, can I build something where I would be comfortable putting my own money in? I'm not comfortable keeping money with exchanges. 
I'm not no, comfortable with. I, I would say that you should build something that you'll be comfortable putting your grandmother's money in. <laughs> pretty <laughs> much, pretty say. much. Yeah, so, exactly. so I started with mine. Now to, yeah. to turn it into yeah. you know something something that allows me. So I don't have my grandmother. Actually, I have my mother signed in as a client. Okay, all uh, right. Now you really have to deal with it. Okay, fair to, enough. To take her own money as in as a client, it took us about another year of work. Okay, behind the scenes. Good stuff. So basically, you're offering this direct to consumer first off, but I'm guessing you're also offering this to other companies as a B2B play? Or you will be? We started recently. Mm -hmm. So it it turns out, so we built this whole custody solution from scratch and there's no blueprint over there of how exactly your custody solution for digital assets look like or or here's how some other company built it or just a few random bits and pieces of, uh, you know, like this. Everyone figured out what worked best for them first, right? And then moved on. Pretty much. So... So we started with the whole, okay, we want this thing to be geographically distributed. We want the access to be access control. We want everything to be vaulted. We want all the keys to be generated and maintained offline for the lifetime of the key. So your wallet never gets put to device that gets connected to the internet or any network. Hmm. We wanted all the transaction signing to happen offline. You know, like there was, we wanted hardware security modules, wanted hardware security modules that were past a certain standard. So even if I get a screwdriver and I try to physically taper, uh, tamper with the with, with the circuit, uh, you know, like you just erase itself and then we can restore from paper backups. So there, there were a lot of requirements that came into play into building this, this custody solution. Once we got it out there and we started doing a bit of buzz on the, on, on the retail side of things, we were getting inbounds on the website in one of our lead capture forms. We started getting crypto funds. We started getting family offices. But I mean, you have a secure storage solution. What's happening over here? How do I hold my assets with you? Mm-hmm. I figured, okay, you know That's what? a big problem, right? I mean, you start putting a lot of money and you don't want the responsibility of it. How do you handle it? And you can run your own full node for all these currencies. And that's, <laughs> yeah, that's its own challenge. So, you know, describe for the audience what deep cold storage is. I mean, we've had a conversation about it and I always find these amusing, but by mm-hmm. all means, give me the definition. So the, the definition of cold storage is... Effectively, your keys never get put to a device that gets connected to the internet or any other network. Yep. Ideally. So the keys get generated securely and they stay offline, so to say, for the lifetime of the key. And why would you particularly care about this aspect or want to do it? Which is, you know, like the technology is some of the coldest and most impersonal things to sell to people. Yeah. But unlike the traditional or fiat money, so to say, if someone transfers, you know, your Bitcoin out of your wallet, there's no one to call and say, reverse this, please. Yeah. I've always found it so amusing when first hearing the definition of deep cold storage that the most technically minded asset class ever created relies on paper backups as the most secure form <laughs> of security. And it's just, it's such a cool, like, it's such an irony. And I get it because the cost of failure is just so great. It's basically, you're done. Like mm-hmm. there is no, there is no recourse. So I totally get that. So you also boast the lowest fees worldwide, or at least so you claim. Can you talk to me about those, like the minimums, the costs and the setup costs and all that, what that looks like in comparison to competition? So the way we tackled this was basically what we found that our customers were going through two major paths, so to say, to figure out a diversified portfolio. Path number one is I'm going to create accounts with potentially more than one exchange and run my own trades. Or path number two, I'm going to do number one, then I'm also going to integrate with another service on top of it. There's a few of those, CoinCube, Hotelbot, and so on, yeah. where effectively they control your trading account and they trade and run and build your portfolio and do the rebalancing and everything mm-hmm. through the public APIs that are exposed. 
extremely dangerous, you know, like uh, security security model there yeah. because you leak one account in one place and now your money. It's can the entire be gone. thing's exposed. Yeah, everything's a, exposed. any any kind of centralized service is a, is a honeypot for that sort of thing. Pretty much. So we figured, could there be a third way to do this that doesn't involve running my own trades, but that would be competitive on price with running my own trades? Now, obviously, we had to turn the pricing model on its head a little bit too. Whereas most exchanges basically monetize you when you deposit money into your account, when you fund it, before you run your trades, and then per trade. And then when you withdraw money out of your account, we said, we're going to do free funding. We're going to do free liquidation. We're not going to have any sort of lock-in periods or anything of the sorts. We're not in the business of, of locking people out of their own money. We will charge you a flat $250 setup fee. I guess charged once per account. We're bootstrapping a business. And also it turns out that it's a really good way to qualify the clients that are coming in. Gets rid of all the tire kickers very um, quickly, doesn't it? Pretty much. But yeah. then you can fund your account as many times as you want with, with any sort of amount. We're going to run the trades for you, make everything transparent. We're going to charge you a flat fee per month if you decide to hold it in our position. If you say, I want my digital asset cash. So we call these collections of wallets that we maintain digital asset caches. If you say, I want mine to be shipped home, I want to keep it under my mattress, fine by us. Hmm. We made our 250, no problem. You know, you can still, not at the time, but yep. we are working towards it. You can still get home one day, hopefully, and open it up, type in a password into our mobile app and continue using the same services and everything as if you were, you know, as if you were to hold it in our, in our secure cold storage. Okay. So now as far as the pricing is concerned, we started really, really high up for the initial set of clients. Thank you, by the way, for supporting this business early on. <laughs> Nothing uh, like early adopters. <laughs> yeah. we, we've lowered our prices fourfold since we started. Oh, wow. Okay. The self-serve platform that we, we recently soft launched at balancenow.ca, effectively, we charge 3% a year for the first $10,000 on the retail side of things. 2% a year, it's a tiered system. For the next $40,000, dollars mm -hmm. so $10,001 to $50,000, 1.2% a year for the next $50,000. If you come with more than $100,000, now we can talk custody pricing. For custody pricing, we charge you 0.5% a year or 50 basis points if, uh, Fair <laughs> if you're used with that term. So essentially what you're basically doing is almost doing an asset management fee like is more common in the investment management business. I charge for the cold storages because yeah. we don't do anything else well, on top of it. That's the thing is you're, you're uh, basically charging for, you're charging the money for the length of the time that you're doing something for them, right? It's not transaction based per se. It's basically, you know, you're providing a service. You're going to get paid while you provide that service. So and so. So, okay. so here's what it is. As far as all the, there are some intermediary fees, so you hinted right at that one. There are some intermediary fees over there for running those transactions and network fees and so on. Yeah, those, those, get, those get, can't be ignored. Those no. can be ignored, but we pass them fully to the customer. Yeah, so, you're, so not, you're, not, you're not using that to monetize. You're not throwing on like an extra 20 basis points or whatever it is on top of that. Pretty much. So, you know, so, so those get passed. Some of them get passed. Some of them get eaten up by us, which is mm -hmm. why we have that $250 setup fee. That's part Fair. of what that's supposed to cover. Yep. We charge for effectively for our services. So the end of the day is if you want to buy some Bitcoin and have it sent to your existing wallets, you will get the quote from us. And most likely there will be a spread there because mm -hmm. you won't be keeping it with us. So 
you know, like we won't get to monetize you. Yeah. If you do choose to hold it in our secure storage, we're going to pay a monthly fee for that one. But unlike most other places where the, the value proposition is that we are going to give you access and we're going to charge you for access, right. your value proposition is we want to provide value for you to keep it here and to manage it. Because you're not, you're not this person who's looking to flip in and out of Bitcoin every five minutes. You're this person who wants to kind of buy and hold or buy and invest in a longer term than five seconds in this asset class. And it's interesting, one of the things you hit upon, uh, given the diversity of currency you have, one of the, you know, you absolutely nailed it, the pain of going through the KYC process. <laughs> Multiple exchanges. <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, like, I don't know. I don't know how many exchanges I've signed up for now just to play around with them. And, and then I do have a little bit here and there, but yeah, some of them I just gave up. I just like said, you know, <laughs> enough's enough. Like, I don't want to do this again. So what do you think, what have been the biggest challenges you faced altogether in starting this company? Huh. Um... Let's put people on the spot. <laughs> Quite a few. No, so I'm, you know, like it's kind of, it's juggling multiple balls. I'm trying to figure out which one was the, I guess, the, the most pressing or the most painful one. I would argue the legal and regulatory side of it. Yeah. So I, I didn't, you know, like when I understood that it's a regulated space, I came with a fresh set of eyes. Uh, I came you don't understand the regulated space until you deal with the regulators. It was uh, funny. I had uh, I had a friend once who pitched the idea of starting an online bank and said, not a chance ever. <laughs> and uh, so he went to investigate because he thought it was doable. And he came back and like, oh my God, I've never seen anything like that. It's like, yeah, no kidding. Yes, yeah. So I, I took it as... As with everything, I, I, I approached it with a technical mindset, so I figured I need to understand this deep enough that I can have an informed conversation with whichever government time is regulating this. So this applied to the securities aspect of it. This also applied to the remitting money aspect of it. Again, we're Canadian dollars in, Canadian dollars out. We fall under Fintrax oversight. We yep. pass through the same stuff. Let's, uh, with Fintrax, it was, it was an even more interesting conversation because they we did send our business model to them. One of their officers went through our flow of funds, business model, bank account, set up everything, and basically said like, look, as of now, which now was about a year ago, you do not need to register with us as a money service business. So we did, well, on one end, we did have that decision on another end, it was pretty clear where the where the space was moving. So like that being said, yeah. <laughs> here are some it's proposed like, regulations in part one of Canada Gazette. So you're better off if you build a compliance regime. No, it's difficult. Everybody's still feel, feeling their way out. And I do commend the OSC for basically taking a smart, doing a smart move and basically setting themselves up with a more or less incubator of ideas so people can start coming to them with that because it's much better than having a bunch of people stare back at you and say, what? So overall, what so do you I do, I do, if you, if, yeah, by all if means. so I do want to mention one thing, like one thing in particular that I liked about the launchpad team over there, because I, I had the chance to work closely with them for about a year. Here's what surprised me. I expected that we would drop in and they would say, okay, if you're building this, we're going to look at the product and we're going to look at the software and we're going to look at and control every single aspect of the, of the creative process, so to say over there. They said, that's not our job. Our job is to make sure that the retail investors in Canada don't get touched and don't get touched by something that doesn't make sense that could potentially put their own funds at risk. So build it, then come validate it, give us a presentation, we're gonna tell you this feature doesn't work, this feature might not work or whatever it is. We're not gonna tell you how to build your product, we're not gonna tell you how to run your business. I was so pleasantly surprised about that. Which is a great approach, quite honestly. I mean, just yes. simply like, you know, we don't know what's what yet until you show us what you're building and then we'll tell you what's wrong with it and ask questions along the way. And that's that's the way it's gonna be, right? And, and even then, I mean, they've been very, you know, to their credit, they've been very open to new ideas of how they can basically 
solve problems that they were, or reassess all the assumptions of how business was done and ask, okay, you know what? Maybe it doesn't have to be done that way. Maybe it can be done this way. We're just used to it being done the previous way. So I do commend them for that. So overall, if you had to sum up what you felt the biggest value proposition you offer, I mean, it seems like there's a couple that, that come to mind here. Like, you know, what in your pitch, why you versus everyone else? There's a couple. So the, the first one I would say is simplicity. I am specifically looking at dirty majority market, so to say. You know, we've signed clients for our business from, we start, obviously, as any business starts, we started with our own friends and family and extended social circles. They didn't have a $100,000 minimum, right? They didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Maybe they did, you know, lucky do, group. But people do note, we do have a 5000 minimum on retail. Okay, fair enough. Because fine. that was the custody was 100000 Okay. So that's what it is. But we do have some customers, you know, my my brother and sister-in-law, mother, father, you know, some some people you over there. exceptions. That they would have not gotten into this space and they would have not set themselves up with a, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin portfolio in the next five years, if not yep. for a service like this. Oh, they wouldn't even have heard of Stellar or Ripple or anything like that for a while, right? My mom would have, uh, she's definitely not comfortable with opening up an account on Binance. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, 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 that would not work. That would, that would uh, definitely not be the case. So simplicity is one. The second aspect that I want to emphasize is the fees. The fee structure that I mentioned, we start at 3% retail a year. If I'm to contrast this, say I want to build a basket of the eight that we support in whatever sort of proportions make sense for you. If you're to build it through a trading and exchange platform, we're most likely going to end up paying two and a half percent if you fund it with Interac. Yep. That's one. We're going to run eight trades just to buy the basket. Trading platforms usually charge anywhere between 0.2 and 0.4, 0.5% per trade, depending on yep. whether or not you're, you're the market maker or taker. So put it another average of eight trades at 0.25, that's another 2%. You want to liquidate your assets, take some stuff out, another 2%. That's 6.5% straight out of the bat. That's more than two years of my service. Yep. If in two years of my service, the peace of mind, and, and you get to run your own trades, which is, wait, so, so I'm paying more than double than what I pay through balance, to set up the same stuff and I have to do the work. Yep. That doesn't necessarily. It's not overly surprising too. I mean, it's such a, you know, it's such a windfall economy for this, right? Like everybody's racing to get into it or was more so back when it was pushing 20 grand. But, you know, <laughs> at, the, at that point, when everybody thinks they're going to get rich, they don't care about cost, right? But as this industry matures, there's definitely going to be pricing pressure. And, you know, the bigger players better, you know, they better build that scale because otherwise they're going to, uh, they're going to suffer a lot of losses, a lot, a lot of outflows if they don't. That's kind of. So, so we went with the most aggressive pricing structure that we could realistically come up with on top of our technology that allows us to still maintain a profitable balance sheet. So now if someone else comes into the market and there, there's, you know, like every now and then you see those free trading, free funding, yeah. they're burning venture capital money. So I'm saying <laughs> hey, if I, you can I like do it taking cheaper. discounted rides with Uber, okay? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, as long as Lyft does it as well, too. Uh, well, hey, you know what? I, I just know that I'm getting cheap rides everywhere. So <laughs> as long as there's two <laughs> and that's some competition. Right. Yeah. One last question I ask everyone. What excites you the most about what you're working on, the industry, the space in general? Like what gets you out of bed in the morning to deal with this? So I'm going to answer this from, from more than one angle. Go right ahead. One angle is the personal aspect of it. Again, I'm a, I come with a strong technical background. So for me, the finance space, as far as the systems behind it are concerned, you know, like rebuilding effectively a back office from the custody piece up, it's extremely exciting from a pure engineering point of view. You combine it with digital currency, which is a nice combination of money and cryptography. And this is 
this is what I want to spend my day working on from a pure mm-hmm. engineering and, and, and business aspect of it. Now, looking at the target market, what excites me about this, and we've set our goals internally along the lines of, we want to see this happen in the market. We don't care whether we do it or one of our competitors or, or whoever care. else. <laughs> right. Yeah. Fair enough. I think digital assets could unlock the same kind of tools and the same kind of access to financial instruments that institutional players had up until now mm-hmm. could unlock that for retail. I'm not necessarily, I don't know if I'm doing justice to pitching this, but our stated mission is effectively saying, let's take all the stuff that the big guys had and they had available for decades and decades and now make it available to the individual on the ground in a be your own bank kind of manner. Now, obviously this only makes sense up to a certain point. There's a benefit in saying I'm gonna, you know, like let someone else take custody of my yep. assets or, or take care of my money. But we do think there's a, you know, like the balance, the pendulum currently has to shift a bit from the institutional players more towards retail. So this is what we're trying to do. Now, some of that tooling, I can't just take out a, an engine, uh, you know, like a, a order routing kind of deal and just package it and try to offer it to retail individual because they won't know what to do with it. No, so, it's not so, built for the retail individual. It's not built for retail. So some, no. some of that tooling has to be reinvented. Some of that tooling has come with an easier, like a smaller set of abstractions on top that they can actually wrap their head around and use it. But that being said, the blockchain tech does put a bit more power into the hands of the individual. So Absolutely. that's what we're we care about. Excellent. Well, thank you, George. Uh, that was great. And I'm sure we all appreciate this. And for anyone looking forward to balancenow.ca. And you just went live when, Reese? Like it was? Last Wednesday, we did a quick internal announcement. And then we went off and uh, went to catch a little bit of sleep. So last uh, Wednesday, we're currently recording this a little bit of sleep. That's funny. We're currently uh, recording this the middle of October. So this will probably air towards the end. So you'll have had a solid a little about three weeks. So yeah, I encourage everybody to take a look. Thank you so much. Hopefully no bugs by the time you visit. (laughs) Is that a promise? No. (laughs) We'll see. All right. Thank you. So that was my interview with George from Balance. Hope you enjoyed that. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever it is you get your podcasts. Until next time. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.